0: Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church, Owasso. Sermon podcast. Grace changes everything. Betrayal is one of life's most piercing pains, isn't it? The pain we're trained to deal with from childhood is pain from the outside in, but betrayal is a pain from the inside out. As children, we learn how to deal with pain from the outside in. When you get a cut, kiddos, when you get a scrape, what do you do? You, you come and find a caring adult, your mom or dad, who will uh, sometimes kiss your boo-boo, they will wash your cut or your scrape, and they will help you, and they will put a Band-Aid over your wound outside in. In high school, we learned, for those of us who played football, that you wore helmets and you wore mouthpieces. Now they wear wear incredibly technically advanced helmets and mouthpieces in order to protect your head and your neck from injury. And when you got hurt on the football field, what did you do? You went over to the trainers who were trained to attend to you. Help your muscles from the outside in. At work, whenever you see problems or issues at work, you can see there's relationships that need to be mended and you can see it, it's from the outside in. You, you are trained to be outside in pain managers if you lead people at work. All of our life, we are trained by nature to help heal from the outside in, which is what makes betrayal so incredibly painful because it is an inside out pain. And those of you who suffer from chronic disease know this kind of pain. Those of you who've been diagnosed with cancer know this kind of pain. Those of you who have heart disease, those of you who have diabetes, those of you who have Crohn's disease know this kind of pain because it's a wound that you can't touch. It's an inside out kind of pain. Betrayal hurts because it starts from the inside and it works its way to the outside. You can pretend everything is fine on the outside, but what is it that we often say? Oh, I'm fine on the outside, but I am dying on the inside this is one reason why for the youth group teenagers this is why youth group is so important it's because we are helping you learn amidst the ways of the world that tends to always deal with pain from the outside in that you are in a community of faith a covenant community where you begin to heal from the inside out by the work of the Holy Spirit this is why friends we have community groups at our church it's not because it's a thing that you just need to do during the course of your week who has time to do another thing It's because community groups are a way, a tool, a place where you can get beyond the surface of chips and dips and you can go deeper and you can actually begin to process your pain, your addiction, even your betrayal of others. And you can begin to heal by the power of the spirit from the inside out. And betrayal, as you know, is painful to the degree that someone near you has hurt you. The deeper they are to your heart, the deeper your trust in them was. And this is why, by the way, marriage betrayals are so excruciating. In the context of Psalm 55, we find David reeling from the betrayal of a close friend. Look what he says in verses 12 and 13. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you a man of my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Friends, I would invite you to think about a time in your life when you have been betrayed. Maybe a time in your life when you have been the betrayer. And I want to invite you to use that as a case study as we look at Psalm 55 together today. It is not clear in this context who the betrayer in David's life is. We do know from Second Samuel 15 and 16 that David was betrayed by two people very close to him, and it happened back to back. His son, Absalom, would station himself at the city gate and the people would come to see the king. Absalom would, would interrupt them and he would intercept them and he would say, what is it that you come to my father to be judged for, to seek wisdom about? And Absalom would, would dispense wisdom and he would judge cases and he was really good at it. And people would come to Absalom instead of going to the king and they would say, hey, Absalom, you're really good at this. And Absalom said, thank you. In fact, I think I am. In fact, I think I'm better than my father at it. And so Absalom set himself up to be a new king. And he knew that the only way he could actually take over the reign of his father would be to get his father's closest men. So Absalom had the audacity to go find some of David's closest friends. And so Absalom went and he found Ahithophel, his counselor. And he persuaded Ahithophel to come with him and to betray his father. And this uh, week, I'd encourage you families to read 2 Samuel 15 and 16 as a family, to read the story of David's own betrayal. But what is it in your life? A friend at school? An acquaintance at work? A dear friend? Maybe even a husband or a wife? Use that as a case study to think about the power of God's word to move us toward healing in the midst Of betrayal. Betrayal works on at least four levels in our life. First, the emotional pain of broken trust. Secondly, the psychological pain of then not knowing who to trust in the future. Thirdly, the spiritual pain of questioning what in the world is God doing by allowing us to be so betrayed. And fourthly, on the physical level, because you know when you've been betrayed, you can feel physically ill. We say we are sick. To our stomach, whenever we feel betrayed, and all four of these dynamics are spoken about in this psalm. And the point of the Psalm fifty-five is this: that because God will sustain you, seek Him when betrayed by a friend. Because God will sustain you, seek Him when betrayed by a friend. Let's look at it in four movements. First, number one, God will sustain you. In the emotional pain of broken trust, he will sustain you by hearing your, number one, hearing your complaint. In the Old Testament, laments were ways that the Old Testament saints would cry out to God with a complaint, a holy complaint. Their suffering leads them to feel that God is far away. And so they would say, Lord, where are you? And this was a holy complaint. The word here, kashav in Hebrew, literally means to listen attentively. Lord, would you listen to me? Would you pay attention? The Lord is never on his cell phone, as parents are, but it's not unlike when children say to mom and dad, put down your phone and listen to me. Or maybe that's holy, I've only been the one that's been told that. Kashav, hear, it's a holy complaint. And through his complaints, It is not a voice of the lack of faith. It is the voice of faith saying, Lord, hear me, because I know that I have access to you. Pay attention to my plea. God will sustain you by hearing your complaints. Now, wait, wait, you complain against God? What do you mean you complain against? Yes. There's a difference. There are good complaints and there are bad complaints, do you remember the old, the old business cards that you used to see or the old complaint cards that you used to have in restaurants? You know, now there's, you don't have complaint cards anymore. What do we do? We, we, we just tweet. Or is that even a verb? What, do you, you, what is it now? Do you, do you still tweet? I think it's X, right? They changed the name of, of Twitter. So you, you would tweet, you would tweet your complaint. So this week I, I, uh, I read about um, uh, a complaint from Sadler Dre in the UK. And at Sadler Dre tweeted a complaint. He said, yo, at Domino's, I ordered a pizza and it came with no toppings on it or anything. It's just bread. And Domino's says, at Sadler Dre, we are sorry to hear about this. Please let our friends know, at Domino's underscore UK know so that they can help. And a few minutes later, Settler Dre retweet, uh, tweets, uh, never mind, I opened a pizza upside down. <laughs> That's a bad complaint. And in the Bible, the Lord calls bad complaints grumbling. And in Hebrew, in verse three, it says, for so they bear a grudge. The word is satam. It means to hate or to be hostile toward. It means it's, it's, it's the same word that's used about Esau's attitude toward Jacob or Job's when Job oversteps his bounds and Job is bearing a grudge against God. And the Bible often refers to faithless complaints as grumbling. In Lamentations uh, 3 39 and 40, it said, Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in his view of his sins? But let us examine ourselves and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. It's a great invitation to turn from our grumbling, which is our default mechanism, into holy complaints. In Numbers chapter 14, Israel complained against the Lord and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Jesus said in John chapter six, Jesus said, do not grumble among yourselves. In Philippians chapter two, Paul writes, do all things without grumbling or complaining. James says in James chapter five, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. The Puritan Thomas Watson called such grumbling mutiny in the soul against God. Murmuring springs from pride, Watson says thinking you deserve better at God's hand, and when the heart begins to swell, it spits poison. Murmuring also springs from distrust because men do not believe that God can make medicine out of poison and bring good out of all their troubles. In other words, Watson says, men murmurs at God's providence in their lives because they distrust his promises. God will sustain you by hearing your complaint. But what is a good complaint? (laughs) How do you flip the pizza over and begin to have a heart that complains with the right motives? There are at least three kind of holy complaints in scripture. Habakkuk 1:2 says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear me? I cry violence and you will not save. This is a holy complaint. Lord, where are you? And in Psalm 55, this is an example of a holy complaint. There are three holy complaints in Scripture. First, number one, it's not about God, but it is to God. You're not complaining about God, But you are complaining to God, which just think about how radical that is, where you are coming to him as a good father who loves you and you're telling him where you're struggling. You can do it. You should. Not about God, but to God. Secondly, it is about ourself and about our heart. Paul demonstrates this in Romans chapter seven when he he says, what does he say? Oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not about God, but to God. Number two, it's about ourself. Number three, it's about the world who is against God and his righteousness. And you see this in Psalm 55 and verses nine through 11. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. He is complaining about God's world. It's not about God, but it's to God. A holy complaint is about our own hearts, and it is about God's world when it is against him and his righteousness. So God will sustain you by hearing your complaints. Number two, verses four to six, God will sustain you in the psychological pain by revealing your own coping mechanisms. What do you mean coping mechanisms? Well, listen, you can hear him, Lord. uh, I am restless. In my complaint, I moan. And then what does he do? What does he do with his complaint? Because every single one of you go somewhere whenever you are betrayed. Where do you go? David says, My heart is in anguish within me. Terrors have fallen upon me. I say in the midst of my betrayal, Oh, if I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. This is this is David admitting his coping mechanisms when he is betrayed. What about you? Like what's your default mode of coping when you are hurt? Here, there are two temptations for us. In verse seven, our temptation, number one, is to numb it, to escape from it, we numb it. David wants to flee to the wilderness. He wants to flee, he wants to go away. He's just gonna numb it. He's just gonna disappear into the wilderness. And number two, you don't numb it. You might, verse eight, you might ignore it because not only does he go to the wilderness, but he also hides. If I could just hide from it, if I could just ignore it, But why should I deal with my own coping mechanisms when it's I who have been so hurt? Well, this is precisely why, because you will deal with your pain in some way, friends. And as believers in this city, the better we are at understanding what our coping mechanisms are, the better we are able to have the kind of life you've always desired to live. Because the reason why you're suffering as much as you are. is not just because of the bad, bad world on the outside. It's also because of the way you cope on the inside. Some of us, it's retail shopping, retail therapy. Some of us, it's pornography. Some of us, it's addictions. Some of us, it's drinking too much. Some of us, it's I mean, these are forms of hiding and withdrawing, aren't they? You know, and this isn't just the only only thing you can do when you're tempted in the midst of your betrayal, this is just what Psalm 55 tells us. Here, you either numb it or you ignore it. But think about other things that you might do. Write them down as you think about ways that you continue to numb yourself. Listen, some people will say, well, I've been so hurt by the church. The church is my betrayer. And if that's the case, I'm so sorry. Just because you're hurt in one church doesn't mean the whole church is bad. You're a better thinker than that. And the process by which you're actually able to heal might not be moving yourself away into the wilderness to numb yourself from it, but it actually might be coming into a gospel-centered community that wants to love you and help you walk in the midst of it. Will you be perfect? No, of course we won't be perfect. Is Trinity going to be the right church for me? Well, it might be. But that doesn't mean that we're going to get it right every time. And this is why in this church, it's the power of relationships that matter so much. Number one, God will sustain you in the midst of your emotional pain of broken trust by hearing your complaints. Number two, he will sustain you in the midst of your psychological pain in the midst of betrayal by revealing your own coping mechanisms. Listen, we saw it We saw it recently. Uh, for those of you who have seen, you may have seen the Barbie movie yet. There's a social commentator. I see some hey, I some strong feelings about Barbie in this room. I, at one of the social commentaries uh, in an article in Vox, her name is Alyssa Wilkinson, wrote this week, the movie is a kind of retelling of the fall. Pretty insightful from someone outside the church. In both Genesis and Barbie, you have a prototypical woman who reaches for forbidden knowledge and then offers it to her male companion, In the movie, you know, Ken turns on Barbie, and Barbie turns on Ken, and they see their own coping mechanisms, and they turn against each other. In the movie, both are met by a loss of innocence, and they are exiled from perfection. And if Ken and Barbie have coping mechanisms, and they're supposed to be perfect, well, so do we. Solitude from betrayal by numbing it or by hiding it both lead to a spiritual kind of wilderness, which is where some of you are right now. And this is why it is so painful. This is why as you prepare to come to the Lord's Supper this morning, the first step in healing in the midst of your betrayal is not that everything is going to be fine, not that the relationship is going to be at peace. It's going to be that you are going to be at peace with the emotional and the psychological pain of it by coming to the table, by coming to him with your complaints, and by coming to him, recognizing your own coping mechanisms. William Cooper wrote in the great hymn, "O oh, solitude, where are the charms? Better dwell in the midst of alarms. For sages have found in thy face than rains in this horrible place, this horrible place of solitude and numbing yourself instead of numbing it or ignoring it, you are to lament. You are to lament over broken relationships. And our ability to lament is um, not just what we reserve uh, for Lent, but it is a practice we are to enjoy, especially in the midst of our betrayal. Third, God will sustain you in the spiritual pain by the promise of his perfect justice. Justice. In the promise of his perfect justice, verse nine, David says, divide their tongues. It's a reference to the Tower of Babel. Lord, bring justice to the land. My enemies have mounted their forces against me. Divide their tongues. Don't let their attempts to play God or rule the world go without justice. David sees iniquity all around in verses nine through 11. Do you see it? In verse 20, he says, my companion stretched out his hand against his friend and he violated his covenant. He appeared faithful on the outside, yet war was in his heart. And Jesus himself told us to expect betrayal in Matthew chapter 24. He says, then one day, friends, they will deliver you up to tribulation and to put you to death and you will be hated by the nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. It's interesting, isn't it? When Jesus is talking about what it's gonna be like In the fallen world, between the time of his ascension and his return, that betrayal will mark fallen humanity. Many false witnesses will arise and lead many astray because the lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, Jesus says. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus is saying, because I will bring justice in the end, and I will right all of the wrongs. And so you can come with me with your betrayal, and you can bring it to me. Why? Because I know what it's like to be betrayed. Nine times in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew says Jesus was betrayed. Jesus knew betrayal. Jesus saw the betrayer. Judas, the betrayer, he says. The Son of Man goes, as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed, for it would be better for him if he had never been born. You can numb your pain. You can ignore your pain. You can also try to get back at your betrayer. But friends, the justice of the Lord is far better. And In the midst of the spiritual pain of waiting for his justice, you come to this table in hope that he will one day make everything sad. Come untrue Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed you can therefore come to him in the midst of betrayal with your complaints you can come to him being aware of your coping mechanisms you come to him in the midst of betrayal because he will be the one that executes justice for you and fourth God will sustain you in the midst of the physical pain by pointing you to the one who conquers death itself Jesus, it is said in Isaiah 53, was what? He was wounded by our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. When you're betrayed, it feels like you've been wounded. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And Jonathan Edwards who lived from 1703 to 1758. Edwards wrote these resolutions. There were 70 of them and he wrote resolution number 10. He was 19 years old and he said, resolved When I feel pain, to think of the pains of martyrdom, both of Jesus and of believers around the world, and to remind myself of the reality of hell. (laughs) When you're in the midst of physical pain, you think about the truth that Jesus is the one who came, who will conquer death once and for all for you. You don't numb it, you don't ignore it, you come to him. Spurgeon said, this whole psalm is a kind of a prayer to the Lord Christ in his humiliation, who was despised and rejected by men. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was the great Baptist preacher in London in the 19th century. When he was made sin for his people, that they might be made the righteousness of God in him. When he was about to suffer their punishment to pay their debt and discharge their ransom, he, in the midst of his betrayal, went to the cross. So who are you in this psalm? For some of you who are dealing with deep betrayal, you are the one who feels betrayed. And it's okay to not go beyond that, but to take your betrayal as you come to the Lord's table this morning. And some of you might need to recognize that in your own self-righteousness, you yourself are the one who betrayed Christ because you were there in that crowd. And this doesn't lead you to beat yourself up about it. You've been freed to come to him by faith in the gospel of grace and to find hope for us. Because we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with uh, with us in every way. Yet he himself was out without sin. And so as we come to him, we come to him this morning knowing that, verse 23, the believer has a burden that tries us, that is our betrayal. And we can say with confidence that Christ has also experienced that betrayal. We have a duty that we ought to engage in. Verse 23, we cast our cares upon him. Verse 22, we cast our burden on the Lord because Christ perfectly obeyed as he cast his own burden in the garden of Gethsemane before his father and went to the cross for you. And we also have a promise to sustain us that he will sustain you and he will never permit the righteous to be moved because Jesus provided for you. Friends, betrayal is one of the deepest pains that you'll experience in life because it's a pain from the inside out. And I know that even talking about betrayal this morning has caused feelings of emotion in you that are incredibly hard. And so would you take those in your holy complaints to the Lord with faith as you come to this table? Because God will sustain you. Seek him when you're betrayed by a friend. Know that your Father will sustain you in the emotional pain of broken trust by hearing your complaints. God the Father will sustain you in the psychological pain by revealing your own coping mechanisms. God the Father will sustain you in your spiritual pain by the promise of His perfect justice. And God the Father will sustain you in the physical pain by pointing you to the one who conquers death. This is our hope, and this is our promise. Through David's experience, perhaps of Absalom and Ahithophel, we see your Savior, the Lord Christ, who is betrayed for us and yet endured the cross, so that we in our betrayal might be able to seek him when we are betrayed by your friend. Amen? Let's pray together.